0: Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits Podcast. I'm your host Chat Perks, and today I'm going to be talking to Lucy Hodson, who is a communications officer for the RSPB, and that's precisely what we're going to be talking about: a communication, particularly through wildlife, natural history, and science to the masses, and learn a little bit about what's the best way to get the message out there. But first, the news. So I was reading BBC Wildlife magazine and this caught my eye, and it's a new species that's been discovered. And it's called Salazar's Pit Viper. Now, if you're a Harry Potter fan, that name might ring true for you because Salazar Slytherin was the head of a uh, fictional co founder of Hogwarts School. I'm not a Harry Potter fan, I had to read that off the magazine. Uh, but I, I think that's quite funny. I like when people get to name these species and they add something with a bit of flavour, you know, rather than. So, for example, this this pit viper, one of the distinguishing features is that males have an orange stripe. So rather than the orange striped pit viper, which would have been a bit, a bit you know, on the nose, they've called it Salazar's pit viper. So I really like that, that they've they've sort of added that to it. Three specimens of this viper were spotted coiled up amongst roadside shrubbery during an expedition to northeast India. So there's not been many found. The males are certainly the ones that are distinguished by this orange stripe. But there are loads of species out there. I think there was a turtle named after Steve Irwin. Uh, Attenborough's, Attenborough must have loads of species named after him. But I love that, I think, you know, good on him. Name species something a little bit funky. And that brings me on to, certainly not something funky, but brings me on to Lucy Hodson from the RSPB. And we talked a little bit about some of the jobs that she's done in the past and also how to communicate with the public on nature issues. So here's our chat. Well, thanks for joining me, Lucy.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: No, no no worries. So you work with in a, for a large conservation charity. So how do you get people who aren't interested in nature to connect with it?
1: Well, that's kind of the, the whole game of everything that I'm interested in really is so many people that you encounter on a daily basis are so disconnected from nature, so disconnected from wildlife. It's something to fear. It's something to be afraid of. And it's a really big challenge to get somebody just started on that journey into wildlife. And a lot of the whole wildlife, particularly the hobby sector of it and the conservation sector, has this image of mostly just geeky blokes with beards and binoculars. Um, and it's I'm not one necessarily <laughs> Yes. And it's, this is the thing. It has but we are a bunch of nerds and we own it. But the thing is, it has this image that's just not cool, especially yeah. for young people. Like, it's just not a cool thing. It's something that nerds do. But what I do tend to find, and my argument tends to be, is everybody you speak to worships David Attenborough. Everybody will watch Planet Earth documentary, watch, you know, really sexy tiger taking down a deer or whatever, and think it's the coolest thing. And I just try and get across to people that you can have that, that visceral, and like, wonder and amazement at a natural experience right here in the UK you just take the time to appreciate it and even people who are terrified of creepy crawlies and insects if you take the time to learn what you're looking at learn what it is then the fear goes because you understand that it's not just an unknown thing that's buzzing past it's oh it's a really cool beetle or oh it's this it's that so that's the journey is to kind of like simplify it and make it accessible i find that a lot of the nature sector is very very privileged people have access to a lot of money and people have access to green spaces which two very big areas of privilege so you can afford things like expensive binoculars cameras with a lens as long as your arm and all of this kit whereas you don't need that most people now have a smartphone and that's mostly what I use in both my personal and work data like people how easy it is then they can see it as something for them instead of something for rich people in the hills if that makes sense
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting you say that as well because whenever say if you're uh, just walking out and I don't know you're lucky enough to happen upon a a sparrowhawk killing something. Oh, I don't know. Some some sort of interesting nature spectacle. There'll always mm-hmm. be people with their phones out. They're obviously not bird watchers They're just passers by, but they're yeah. filming that. I don't know to show their mum or to show some their partner. <laughs> Look at this that I saw today. And I guess yeah, it's it's showing people that it doesn't need to be a, a blue whale breaching. You know, in Sri Lanka. No, or whatever.
1: no, it can be a ladybird in your garden. You know, and you can see like. The same behaviour that you see on these amazing nature documentaries, you know, a predator stalking prey, you can see that on the miniature in your garden. Like if you look at a jumping spider, they hunt like cats. So they'll stalk up on a prey and like pounce on a fly. And-
0: yeah, and that, and that fly might be four or five times the size of it. It'd, it'd be like a you know a lion taking on an elephant or something like exactly. that. Exactly, yeah. And it's,
1: it's just amazing.
0: Yeah, you can get lost in your garden, can't you? If you kind of look at... I've just got into moth trapping, which is a slippery slope and yes, um, same. I, was, I, I know it's a, it's a hard addiction and I and I was like <laughs> oh I'm not going to get anything I, I might get and, I, and you know I couldn't sleep very well partly because the light was next to my room so that was keeping me awake but also because I was excited and then looking at all these moths in the morning it's like what the hell there's so many different kinds and I haven't got yeah. a clue what any of them are but um just amazing what you what you can find that's just you know just in an urban garden in Nottingham, it was amazing. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, there's so much to see that people don't really realise is there.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And with your with your other hat on, I will say, <laughs> uh, I took a look at your Instagram before doing this, which is Lucy underscore Lapwing. And for yes. anyone who wants to give it a follow, I would I would definitely encourage that. And you're quite a rare creature, Lucy, as <laughs> you seem no to be... You are, yeah, as you seem to be a general naturalist, as everyone seems to be specialists now. Uh, is that a fair assumption or... Is there a group of creatures that stand out for you?
1: Yeah, that is a fair assumption. What I'd like to, to show to people is that you don't need to have years worth of studying and, well, studying in like the education sense. And you don't need to have done it from a, from a really young age. So although I've always been a wildlife nut, I've always been obsessed with all things that are alive. I didn't have a natural history knowledge until... I. I did go to uni and studied wildlife conservation but I didn't necessarily know a lot about British wildlife then back then it was just dreaming of you know like everybody does, going and working in Africa um, <laughs> didn't really know a lot about British wildlife but I got my first job in conservation just after I finished uni and that just opened my eyes to it and so I only really started learning about British natural history when I was 22 so I've learned everything you know how, long, how old am I now seven years so you can totally do it and so all the, even though i started off with birds because that's the easy one you know there's so many resources out there there's a massive bird watching culture in the uk working on nature reserves volunteers took me under the wing <laughs> um and just taught me all sorts about birds so that's like the first love which i think it is for a lot of naturalists but for me any kind of invert i just love what what my favorite thing to do is rather than have like an like a specific specialist that i'm interested in is to go to a natural space whether it's a park whether it's a nature reserve whether So walk down the river and just see how many things I can see. And then if I don't know what they are, take a photo of it, try and find out later, like use the wonders of the internet. Um, And through that, you just build up a kind of a love for all things. So, you know, I can go on a walk. I can find a a fungi I really like and then do some bird watching with my binoculars and then I can find a really cool beetle and then take a look at some wildflowers. And it's just like an all round experience, like 360,
0: 3D. I suppose there's so many species you're, you're going to struggle to see it all aren't you so there's always going to be Mm. potentially there could be something new on every walk if you kind of look hard enough and in in the nooks and crannies and things like that which is quite um quite exciting really so you you worked at Sherwood Forest didn't you am I right in saying that
1: yes yeah
0: um so this is your back on back with your other hat on now uh (laughs) so what was that like working at Sherwood Forest
1: that it was an amazing experience The, the landscape and the forest itself is fascinating and stunning because it's this kind of it's there's a very difficult issue there because it's it's such a precious habitat like those oak trees that make up the forest that make it such a designated special site are such a rare thing now you know to classify an oak tree as an ancient oak it has to be over 400 years old and there's a whole host of species of wildlife that rely exclusively on ancient trees either standing that are still alive or falling rotten dead ones and most of these species now in the uk are like really critically endangered, some of them you only find in Sherwood Forest, they're that rare certain species of spider.
0: Is that right? Um, I didn't know mm,
1: that. And uh, you know, There's like one species of spider that exclusively lives in abandoned birds' nests in the top of ancient oak trees, it's like how fussy can you get? <laughs> um, and But the reason why the site is so protected is because of its relationship with human history and folklore and obviously the character everybody knows, Robin Hood, so having all of that folklore and all of those stories has kind of protected it as a point in time the downside of that is because it is such a famous legend the legend of robin hood is it's an incredibly busy site you know people want to connect with that history people want to go and see the major oak the giant oak tree robin Hood's one of the you know uk's most famous kind of not historical figures but historical figures but it just means that you get a, a large amount of footfall in a place that's really really delicate and sensitive so it's really interesting to kind of see how you balance that because we owe the legend for it being protected but then we want to protect it from too much damage you know because large numbers of people people very innocently do things like climb trees or let their dogs off leads in like really sensitive areas and yeah but it's beautiful sight
0: it's a shame really because i've I grew up well born and bred in nottingham but I've, i think i've been twice <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. always a thing on your doorstep you tend to sort of ignore a little bit and the first time I went to see the major, the major oak is like suppose I can't remember if it's the one that he lived in or, or something like that, supposedly. But supposedly. I've, yeah, and I was um expecting this grand looking tree, and it's it's sort of like it's on stilts, it's sort of propped up, and it just looks it looks tired is the best way yes. to describe the major oak. It looks absolutely knackered, yeah, but uh, which is a shame, but it's I guess it's it's not dead, it's still alive, isn't it? It's just
1: yeah, it's, yeah, very much alive.
0: It's mm. um. It's worth a seeing, but it's not what I had in I, you know, I had like uh, imagining men in tights swinging around from the trees and whatever. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't quite there, but it's an amazing site. And I've been there for lesser spotted woodpecker in the past. And um, yes. there's a few rarities there. So it's, it is, it is a pretty interesting site, as you say. Uh, I've recently come across a term called nature bathing. So I don't know if you've yes. come across this. So especially with the recent lockdown, do you think it's important for people to get out and breathe it all in?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd say, I'd say we have seen that very much. So, so I've been blogging for Nate about nature for like the last five, six years. And in the last six months, the interest has just skyrocketed. People have just discovered it, which is just amazing because, you know, we've been banging the drum for years and finally people are like, oh yeah, it's actually really cool. Obviously people have been spending more time at home. People haven't been commuting to work. People have been, you know, not taking the kids to school. So having that time to just sit and notice things out your window and um, look in your garden or people obviously discovering new walks on their doorstep as well. Um, they're connecting with nature and they're seeing stuff. Even I have, like I'm I'm out there all the time, like any spare moment I've got, I want to be outside looking at nature. And But I tend to go to like wildlife hotspots and, you know, when we weren't driving and we were staying very close to home and we only had our daily one hour walk, I'd just walk from my house and take routes that I'd not done that many times in the past and you know, there's like a pretty, what I'd describe as a scuzzy river at the end of my street. <laughs> you know, it's, full, it's full of trolleys and things like that. Like, is that the technical you know, term,
0: is it? Scuzzy? Yeah,
1: <laughs> scuzzy. <laughs> full of trolleys and bits of plastic and um, it's right next to really intensely farmed land and there's all this agricultural runoff that goes in and it's all very depressing but most nights I'll go down and see a kingfisher and I never would have thought that and you know, I've discovered a sand Martin colony on my doorstep and, and I think lots of people are discovering these things for the first time and it's just Connecting with nature is the most pure form of mindfulness and escapism. Like It's the original, like yoga, isn't it? It's, it's disconnecting your brain from whatever you're worrying about and being in the moment with an organism or a habitat or wherever you are and just looking and watching and observing. And I think lots of people have discovered that and the benefits it brings. So.
0: It's a, I think you, this, it's good as well what you say about discovering, like a lot of kind of bird watchers or nature enthusiasts are guilty, I guess, of going to the hotspots. Like you say, you're going to go to the nature reserve or, or whatever, when there must be so many green spaces and hidden little corners where there is going to be interesting wildlife, but people just don't see it. And I think yeah. it, it's even more rewarding when you go to these local patches. I've, I've got my own scuzzy river where, where, uh, where near where I live, and it, it, it's not its not great. It's not terrible, but it's not great either. But yeah, I'll, I'll see kingfishes, uh, occasionally little egrets and things like that. And I always get more of a buzz when I see those animals there than I would if I went to somewhere like um, Attenborough Nature Reserve or I don't know. something exactly. some, You know, it's has bit like, oh, that's really nice. And it's nice that you that an animal is giving you almost like a mini endorphin rush. You're like, oh, you know, it's like, it's quite nice to, to get that, I guess, which is something that predominantly kind of nature watchers get
1: yeah and i think anybody does like that that excitement i don't know what it is but connecting with an animal you know most people who might say that they don't they're not into nature if you show them a baby hedgehog are they not going to lose their minds everybody has it in them they just don't delve into it and they don't know how to explore it which is what i try to help people do
0: (laughs) yeah no no definitely i agree with that now i seem to remember you i think you got in touch with me at the beginning of the year or it might have been last year because you were trying to do a, a project to see lots of different wildlife So yeah. I, I'm guessing lockdown sort of scuppered that
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah so me and uh, my best friend who's also an avid naturalist and just all-around wonderful human Nadia um we just decided last year we need to kind of structure something we had so we have so much energy and passion about our wildlife and we were realizing that there was things that we'd not seen and we wanted to kind of direct that enthusiasm. So for 2020, we picked 20 species that neither of us had seen. And we compiled this list that, that spanned the calendar of the year. And we were basically going to try and travel just around the UK um, and see these species. And our idea was to connect with naturalists on the ground um, to go out and um, see each of these species and take them off. So we got one out of the 20 and then lockdown hit. So <laughs> not gone too well so far. But, yeah, our idea was to come and meet yourself and hopefully see spawning brook lampreys, which would have been magical. And I hope you're up for perhaps doing it next year. We might do the 21-21 20, and yeah. another species.
0: Yeah, just, add, just <laughs> add one on. Yeah, no, of course I am. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sad thing was that this year, people who lived close to areas where lamprey were, were were reporting pretty good numbers. So I was seeing it on Twitter. They would just take their dog for a walk or their hourly walk. And oh, look at all these lamprey. And I was just like... <sighs> okay yeah yeah which I bet I bet you've you know had some species um, that you really wanted to see so I'll end on this last question now you you worked on spring watch this year didn't you is that yes. right yeah. um as a story developer which basically means you stare at multiple screens watching nests all day what was that like
1: it was amazing so I wasn't quite a story developer I was, oh, okay um, I digitech assistants i was in the same team right um, and that was a reflection of how Springwatch did things really differently this year so um i mean for me it was a dream come true it's the show of worship since i was a teenager and it started like i just i love it and um yeah so last minute i was offered a position to support the digital team because everything had to be different it went on site this year like they normally are and um they were trying to bring a selection of cameras that amazing people had found on the ground across the UK, um, and those all of all of those had to be controlled, obviously, very remotely because we were social distancing at the time. Um, so I just had loads of kit delivered to my door, <laughs> and some massive screens, and um, you know the team, you know they pulled an absolute blinder and managing to get that tech working. I just don't know how they did it. Um, so connecting to these cameras all over the place that. And um, I then had the role of for 12 hours a day streaming live onto the website. And um, so just making sure the cameras were on the most exciting stuff that was happening and um, making sure we didn't miss any fledging because it was a fledging drama um, and just getting it all on there. And it was just a brilliant experience working with just a team of the most passionate, amazing, hardworking people. It was it was excellent.
0: Any highlights for
1: you? Ooh, it was great. Just just an honour to be able to see the nest. Like I saw a full nest of nuthatches fledge, full nest of. Read warblers fledge, well, Susie. There's a lot of drama with the black cap nest when the mum black cap died. Did you see that?
0: Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started my, I used to start my shift at four am. Came downstairs at four am, and I was like, she's not moving an awful lot, but it was still really dark. It became apparent she'd unfortunately died on the edge of the nest. But it's all all good drama to see.
0: Yeah, well, it's just it's nature at the end of the day, I guess, isn't it? But it's um, yeah. it seemed quite seamless as well. Like to say. Obviously they weren't together, but I think it worked really well in the end. It wasn't like, um, it didn't decrease the quality really no. of the programme. It was still a really good, and how they pulled it off, I don't know, but they they did and they did a, did a great job of it. So look, yeah, it's, it's been excellent. an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you, Lucy. So thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: You too. Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> no worries. Take care.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: That was Lucy Hodson. I think it's fascinating the variety of work that she's done even within just the RSPB, not to mention the other things that she's done and her views on getting people kind of into something that they might not necessarily be into. Now, for Nature Reserve of the Week, I thought I'd better choose an RSPB one. I was tempted to do a Wildlife Trust Reserve, but I thought, no, i better do an RSPB one, seeing as we've had a staff member on. And one close to where Lucy lives in the West Midlands is RSPB Sandwell Valley. So that's what we're going to talk a bit about. Now, it's close to Warsaw and Birmingham and is adjacent to Sandwell Valley Country Park. It's a great reserve for passerides, with swifts, swallows, house, and sand Martins all being found here, along with nine species of warbler. Not that I could tell you with them all apart, they all look brown to me. There's a feeding station near the centre, which gets ring net parakeets, willow tits, and bullfinches. so it's always worth checking out the feeding station for something a little bit special. Large numbers of water birds like grebes, water rails, gooseander and teal to name a few can be found on the lakes. There's a hide on stilts where also with a drawbridge over it along with multiple screens for on-the-go birding. Now its urban location means it's very popular with people coming out from Birmingham to enjoy this and it can be a downside as well with vandalism and an arson attack on the visitor centre in 2010 though it has since been rebuilt. Still, there's a lot of schools in the city that visit the reserve to get a taste of nature. The car park, which is free to members, but £3 to visitors, so, you know, not a huge amount of money for that, which I think is, you know, that that's fair enough. There are loos, but there's no cat facilities on site, but you can get light refreshments. You can also take your own food as there are picnic areas outside. So, I think I have actually been to this reserve. Originally, I thought I hadn't, but I think I have. I did a job. On the River Tame, there a few years ago. From what I saw, it was a very beautiful reserve with lots and lots of waterfowl. So well worth a visit. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Chat Perks, and I will catch you in the next one. Cheers.